Anya Kamenitz on building a regenerative agriculture project and raising resilient kids, an interview with her. Don't miss this incredible interview with Anya Kamenitz, journalist, author, podcaster, and advocate for generational justice. She's really an American writer, an incredible human being. She shares her expertise in education policy, digital media, sustainability, and her latest project, a regenerative agriculture project in upstate New York. We also discuss her mission to raise resilient kids on a changing planet and how we can help our children cope with anxiety around the state of the world. Plus, Anya shares her insight on how we can move from climate grief and paralysis to climate action. Join us for an inspiring conversation. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Let me introduce our beautiful guest we have here today. Anya Kamenet speaks, writes, and thinks about generational justice and how children learn grow and thrive on a changing planet. She covered education for many years, including for NPR, where she co-created the podcast Life Kit Parenting. Her newest book is The Stolen Year, How COVID Changed Children's Lives and Where We Go Now. Kamenitz is currently an advisor to the Aspen Institute and a co-generate fellow working on new initiatives at the intersection of children and climate change. I'm so pleased to have her with us today. Please help me welcome Anya. Hey, April, how are you? I'm fabulous. It's such a pleasure to have you here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thanks so much for having me. This scene is really great. I'm so excited to dig in with you. 
Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. So let's start out by giving the audience a little bit of a taste of who you are. Sure. So um, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, I uh, have been a journalist by trade and a writer, and I give talks. And um, in the last few years, just gotten more and more um, kind of awakened around climate change. And so I made the difficult decision to leave my job at National Public Radio after eight years, just about a year ago, and uh, plunge into this work to see if I can use some of my skills toward uh, really figuring out what it is that our kids need in order to prepare for the future that uh, unfortunately we've been laying in wait for them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sure that was an incredibly difficult decision for you. And you did such a beautiful job working with them. And I'm, I can only imagine the learning and the opportunities that were given during that time. And at the, when we become passionate about something and you know that you have to kind of redirect your time to it, right? <laughs> it's going to take all your time. So uh, I commend you for that action. Tell me a little bit about how that's been going, what you've been doing with it since that change. Sure. So I was pretty lucky in that I had a, a couple of relationships that helped uh, smooth my transition outward. So I started working with the Aspen Institute's This is Planet Ed initiative. And this was really the brainchild of a woman named Laura Shifter, who, like me, came from the education world, in her case, education policy. And she had her own climate awakening in relationship to her three children and realized that rather than shift into doing climate policy, what we all have to understand now is that climate change is everything and everything is climate change. So she decided that she was going to start this uh, basically ground up initiative called This Is Planet Ed to try to move our schools, our colleges, our early childhood centers, and ultimately children's media in the direction of climate action. Um, and so this is really, uh, I think, an amazing um, kind of lever for change when you start to realize that, that the existing institutions that we have have to change business as usual. And you know, anyone who's watching or listening right now, whatever it is that you do, there is a way to turn it towards climate action. So I joined Aspen Institute, and this is Planet Ed as a senior advisor, helping them kind of think through their messaging and their communications, doing research, doing writing and speaking um, on this topic. And what I then was able to, to um, get some help with and support with was through the Co-Generate Fellowship to think through what is my particular piece of this. And like you mentioned in your introduction, I have spent a lot of time thinking about my fellow parents and the kinds of resources and information that they need in order to be able to negotiate our changing world. And so that's really what's um, a lot of my focus right now. Okay. So I have so many questions and thank you for educating me and the audience because for, for myself and those of us who don't know what the Aspen Institute is, I would like to, for you to, um, pinpoint on that a little bit more. And also, is it just geared towards climate? And I'm giving you a two-part question here. Sorry, because I don't want to forget. But what really, what changed and made you go in that direction of awareness that it's, this is something that has to be spoken? This is something that people need to start taking action to now. Was there a particular thing that really caught your eye 
I know that you've had so much experience with writing and interviewing others and all of the world issues. So let us know. Um, so to the point of the Aspen Institute, I mean, they're a, a think tank. They're an organization that brings together leaders. Um, they're known for their uh, gathering in, in Aspen every summer. and um, But really, their ethos is about bringing together leaders and thinkers and um, you know, helping create policy and shape how we deal with all kinds of issues. I mean, they have divisions on religion, on politics, energy, and environment is, is one of their areas that we work under. Um, in terms of what led me to wake up, I mean, it's it's a million knocks at the door, you know, before you finally open. Um, I was affected by Katrina. Um, Hurricane Katrina happened in my hometown of New Orleans when I was, um, you know, in my early 20s. And that really, uh, you know, obviously seeing the devastating firsthand impacts of the storm, um, you know, on my family, on my loved ones and friends, and understanding how, you know, what happens when society kind of unravels under the pressure of a, of a, of a not so natural disaster, a disaster that is visited on the poor and on people of color because of political and social inequities um, yeah. really galvanized me. Uh, and going on from there, um, you know, really understanding as I started to to get more attuned to the scientific data that's out there, the IPCC reports, realizing that, um, you know, it's wrong to think of climate change in terms of a timeline, because really, every single thing that we do is important. And, um, you know, but obviously, many people have been scared by the notion that we have 12 years left, or we have two years left. Um, and I just think, you know, it doesn't really matter how much time we have left. The important thing is that we stop it. And yeah, what can um, we do now? Yeah, that's yeah. what this is about. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, it doesn't do anybody any good if you go into that fear mode because then people tend to go stagnant. They don't do anything because they, they are afraid to move, right? Um, and so I agree with you in that regard and that statement. And, you know, with your experience, I think that we sometimes have to go through these horrible things to really gain that insight and understanding and that passion for wanting to do something different and better. And you've been put into such an incredibly unique position through your efforts with writing and with working with NPR, et cetera, that you are able to make a bigger difference. Um, so you are doing something really fun and interesting at home. I, I would love if you're if you want to jump right into this now, what are you doing at home to make a difference on your own terms? What do you, what is your advice for people to do right now? Sure. So in terms of things that um, are achievable in your home, um, we really are at an incredible moment when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act and the proposals that are in there to make it easier for homeowners and even for renters to limit their energy use. Mm -hmm. um, and so my husband and I started on this journey when we moved into our own house, which is obviously a hugely lucky thing to be able to do, especially in Brooklyn. But we were able to put solar panels on our roof. And that really cascaded. There's a whole, you know, when you start acting and making decisions in line with your values, there there is a cascade that happens. So, you know, it, it affects, um, you know, thinking about we do backyard composting as well as the curbside composting that they have in New York City. We took out our boiler. So we took the entire house completely off of fossil fuels, wow. got wow. an electric stove. 
Um, and, uh, you know, overall are still, you know, working on different ways. We have a bicycle that holds both kids. So we're trying to limit our car trips. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and, and even thinking twice about our plane trip. So that's a thing that, um, is a really, a real stick, sticking point for me. I travel a lot. I travel for work and for fun and I want the kids to be able to see different parts of the country and the world, but, um, there is a trade-off there. So thinking about right. you know, all these different changes we can make. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Yeah. Well, that's, that's so cool. Can, can you go a little bit more into that and how you guys do that? What does the, the day-to-day look like when you guys are utilizing all of these other tools? When you talk about compost, like what do you do with the food? What kind of food choices do you make? Cause mm-hmm. I think that a lot of this, you know, people just don't have an understanding of what it is and it stops them from making any forward movement because they just don't know. And once you start doing it, it's, it's a lot easier than you think. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think that, you know, you can start anywhere. You just have to start somewhere. So uh, when it comes to my family, um, you know, we definitely are into the meat substitutes. Um, and that's something that's an easy bridge for kids. Um, they do like crunchy tofu. You know, they are interested in um, Beyond Meat um, when we grill. And um, thinking about those easy substitutions that you can make and just kind of building the awareness um, that comes from that. Yeah, I love that you integrated all these changes and being in New York. So you really found a way to, to do this in no matter what your environment. So that, that's what I love about it. This testimony of you, we can really make this a reality anywhere. And it's truly the future of where, uh, we're going, where we, where we can go, where we should go. And all of those little changes that everyone can make. Um, I think also, when you start doing, it's an example to others, like just putting solar panels on your house, you know, people look at that and they're like, oh, and they're going to, you know, maybe follow suit. I think that's often what we do as human beings is we really follow the leader. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. And what's really exciting right now is in my role with Aspen Institute, I'm involved in talking to school districts around the country that are pursuing net zero efforts and climate, um, climate plans that go across every aspect of the school. I mean, people don't think about this that often, but there's 100,000 school buildings in the country. Mm. They serve 7 billion meals a year in their school food program. So that is a place where there is so much room to make impact. And um, what's happening is really that students are presenting the agenda for change and they're forcing school boards to, to get on board and bridging the gap between city level goals and actually on the ground um, 
changes. And a lot of places, it's school buildings that are really taking the lead on putting solar panels on um, retrofitting and, and doing HVAC. And so it's really exciting to see it because it's really student voice that that's driving it all. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think about, you know, the schools that I see around and my own children's schools. What I love the most is that they're starting to teach our children of, of how to do this. You see so many um, growing areas where they're, they're growing the plants, they're getting engaged, and then they're selling to raise money. So mm -hmm. they're, they're starting to learn and understand what that agricultural aspect looks like, that we can grow our own foods, that it's better for us, mm -hmm. and utilizing, uh, you know, like, like rain in order to collect and to make everything more self-efficient. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, rainwater collection is another thing we're doing in our backyard, actually. And it can help um, with your, if you live in a flood prone area, it can help to have a rainwater barrel, as well as keeping your gutters clean and you can use the water in your garden. Um, so that's, that's another good point. I'm glad you brought that up. And you can do it in the city too. Um, and then on the point of agriculture, uh, I think I mentioned this to you before, that a big picture project that my husband and I are doing, my husband's really taking the lead on this, but I kind of got him um, excited about climate as a topic. And um, he really focused on the impact of agriculture because a lot of people don't realize the contributions that um, our agriculture system and our food land use system makes to climate change and to uh, CO2 emissions, but also methane emissions from animal agriculture. So mm, yeah. there's many, many people looking at different ways to uh, improve our practices so that we can actually store carbon in the same land where we grow food and we can have animal feeding practices that are more humane and also reduce emissions at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So on this topic, is there, I, I haven't looked deep enough into it, but I'll put it up now for a little bit until we go into our first commercial. But um, on your website, do you have, or do you have any recommendations on where people can go to learn a little bit more about this? What's your favorite resources uh, to gain knowledge on how to, what to? I think big picture, I really like to direct people to drawdown.org because they talk about climate solutions in order and um, and um, kind of comprehensively. And regenerative agriculture and land use is surprisingly high on the list. We don't really think about it because we think about industry and we think about transportation or buildings, but the way that we grow food is, is such a major part of this. And it's also provides a way to you know heal nature at the same time that we're trying to address climate change and increase our food security at the same time. Awesome. So would be a good place to start. You, you call it drawn down? Well, draw down. Draw down. Oops, I did that wrong. <laughs> that's right. Drawdown.org is perfect. So um, that's incredible. I have, yeah. Oh, I, okay. Draw down. I think I did have that right. Perfect. Well, I just wanted to make sure that people had an, an area to go to where they can find out a little more information because it is fascinating and you're right, you know, start taking action now because, you know, that's kind of where we're going anyway. And then we can start teaching our children. So um, we're going to move into our first com um, commercial. Goodness sakes, I almost forgot what it was called. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about this incredible journey that you've had with your experience with COVID, with your kids and your passion with that in the book. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. 
We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Hello, everyone. I am Kim Jacobs, the host of The Kim Jacobs Show, and you all know who's right here with me, Dr. Les Brown. How are you, Dr. Brown? I'm blessed and highly favored. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time you want to give yourself a competitive edge. If you got a message, you have some knowledge or experience, a story, or if you want to do something adventurous and exciting with your life that can increase your credibility, expose you to millions of people, I'm encouraging you to have your own talk show. I used to have a talk show. That one talk show catapulted me to another level. Now there are more people watching the internet, as you are aware, than television. Yes. Come on, somebody. That's right. Dr. Kim Jacobs, she trained people on how to have their own talk show. She will train you how to do that. And now with me working, partnering with her, now you have the combination of an audience, expansive audience. We have over 4 million people in all of our platforms and the coaching you need to grow your business, to grow your multi-level marketing organization, to draw more attention to yourself in this noisy economy. Go ahead, Kim. So in the training that I do, Les, I actually do a six-week training. It's one hour per week. And each week I meet with the individuals one-on-one, -on -one. We go through and we talk about all of the things that's necessary for a show to become a reality. We go from how to actually identify your focus area, what's going to be your ideal customer that's going to be tuning in. We'll talk about how to get guests, how to get sponsorship, how to go about getting your lighting, your branding, and your banners, and everything that you need to know. And guess what, Les? They right. own their own content at the end of the day. And that's exciting. Now, if you're ready to, to, to create a shift in your business and in your life and increase your cash flow, I want you to go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. It's right there on the screen. KimJacobsConsulting.com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. Right. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to Kim Jacobs. 
KimJacobsConsulting.com. That's KimJacobsConsulting.com. Did I say KimJacobsConsulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching, and we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. That's my story, and that's Kim's story, and we're sticking to it. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right. So welcome back. And jumping in a little bit into your passion with the book that you created going through COVID, you're passionate about, you know, really working with kids and the possibility of post-traumatic growth because they've been through so much, right? And it's true. We, we have all been through a lot and our kids especially and helping them cope and learn how to navigate through that is, is essential for our next generational, whatever we start to do, how we grow, how we evolve as a society. And so I'd love to start because I thought this was really powerful and you sent it. Um, but this is a little testimony. So I'm going to start here. Anya Kamenitz chronicles the effects of the pandemic on the children of our country, providing a vivid picture of how we have failed our kids, especially those most vulnerable. In clear, concise, well-researched prose, she touches on centuries of U.S. history and the ways we have so often chosen not to support families, interspersed with examples of people taking matters into their own hands to create solutions at home and in their communities. Maybe as a place to start, this book should be required reading for us all. Love, The Washington Post. And I just thought that was really powerful and it kind of hones in on what this is about. I want to add to the stream the book, The Stolen Year, and Anya, you can take it away. Thanks so much, April, for reading that. Um, it's a little embarrassing to sit and listen to it. But um, so when the COVID-19 pandemic hit in 2020, um, I was here in my house with my two daughters. They were three and eight years old at the time. Um, I was working full-time at NPR. My husband was working full-time. And um, we were dealing with everything that everyone else was dealing with, with school and preschool shutdown. Um, but the difference was, as I already mentioned, you know, I had reported on the aftermath of Katrina and even followed up a decade later to see the impacts on young people um, from that storm. And of course, we know that people died in that storm, that that houses were flooded. A lot of people might not realize that public schools in New Orleans were closed for several months. Mm -hmm. And the impact of school closures was measurable because students, yeah. you know, most of them were out of school only for a short period of time because they re-enrolled in other places and then eventually came back to the city. But that interruption could be seen. There was a signature of that interruption on children, on their school performance and on their mental health that could be seen for years. Oh, yeah. And so I knew based not only on New Orleans, but around the world that the school closures in the spring of 2020 were going to have long-term impacts on children because of lost learning. Yes. Because of the lost routine. Yes. Because of toxic stress on their caregivers. Um, and because of the, uh, the, the ways in which our public school system in the United States is really the only social welfare program that we have. I mean, other countries around the world that are wealthy like we are, 
they have cash payments directly to families, paid family leave, subsidized childcare, subsidized healthcare, and we don't have those things. So we have schools and that's it. We have free lunch programs and we have the caring adults in the school system that try to stand in for all of these things. And so without that, there were many, many adverse impact on kids. I mean, I can, you know, I don't have to sit and tell you because you lived through it yourself. But um, unfortunately, we saw a spike ultimately in child mortality, not from COVID-19, but from um, the increase in uh, drugs, um, especially um, fentanyl, and the increase in uh, gun violence that happened all across families, um, and as well as, as in neighborhoods as well. So um, it's a really dire time for kids right now in America, but the, the stolen year is really ultimately a story of resilience. I consider it an act of hope to document children's experiences and to listen to them. Um, there are five families with um, a few, many more than that children. Um, up one, one mother I interviewed has eight children. Um, and so there are many kids' voices in the book. And um, they are ultimately the authors of this story. And the story isn't over. The reason that I care so much about children is that what we invest in our kids is going to be repaid multiple times. We know that. We know that something we do for a child is going to have a return. And so it's time for us now to step up and do for them what they deserve. Absolutely. And I I wouldn't call that that shout out from the Washington Post embarrassing. I think it's incredible. And I also want to say I love that you put stories in here because you know, so much of what this show is, is sharing stories. That's how we relate. That's how we connect. And so um, thank you so much for doing that, for really getting some great real stories out to the world on how it's affected so many people. And I'm curious, maybe you know the answer to this, but now that we're, we're, we're going into post-COVID, right, the stats on kids and, and the suicide rate it had, it, I, I would think has gone a lot higher because I hear a lot more of it and it is just heartbreaking. And you're right. It's because they just don't know how to cope. The world has been so turned upside down. And during that time, they just, they didn't, they weren't able to communicate and well, I shouldn't say communicate, but face to face and have that community aspect. And I would say that that is a massive part of our overall well-being and wholeness and wellness is having each other and that connection piece. That's exactly right. So yes, um, you know, the Surgeon General and the American Academy, Academy of Pediatrics have both talked about a youth and child mental health crisis. These are trends that started before the pandemic, but they have definitely increased. And um, they also believe that, you know, it's the social isolation, but we also have to look at you know, this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, the information that teenagers and young people are seeing about the world around them, whether that is, you know, the epidemic of mass shootings and gun violence, the um, drip, drip, drip of climate change news, um, the violence, you know, that is being perpetrated against queer and trans kids. These are, these are all aspects that make yeah. people look at the world around them and question what is exactly that the adults are doing right now. Right. What is the adults doing and what, what should we really value? And so uh, I'm going to go into this next segment because I think this is a little bit about how 
you know, how, what, what do we do next? Yes, that's exactly right. All of this is not to say that we need to despair. This is a time for us to step up and really put hope into practice. And the piece that I'm focusing on right now is, is this intersection between climate change and youth and emotions. I believe that in order to become, you know, for all of us to turn our feelings into action, we need to be able to manage the emotions that come up when we talk about climate change. And the spark for, for what you're showing here is um, two polls, one of which I did when I was a reporter at NPR in 2019, and the second one with Aspen in 2022. And in both cases, we found more than four out of five parents agree that children need to know about climate change so that they can be part of the solution and build a more sustainable world, more than four out of five. But only half of parents have actually talked to their kids about climate change. And I think I know why. I think I know that it's because it's confusing, it's complicated, it makes them feel scared. They're worried mm-hmm. about scaring their kids. And so what, what I've done, and this is in collaboration with Talk Climate and the Climate Mental Health Network, is we created just a simple guide that addresses those feelings and helps give parents a place to start. So this is a downloadable guide. It's downloadable from climatementalhealth.net slash parents. And um, it is, we're looking for feedback on the guide. We're looking for um, collaborators and people that want help, that we want to help um, bring this to people. And um, we're really hoping that the climate talk becomes as well known as the birds and the bees, because it really is about the birds and the bees, right? It's about the future of life on this planet. Right. And yeah, it is about the future of life on the planet because we'd like to continue being here, right? <laughs> I mean, I would like to and, and, and with a more enjoyable experience. And so we have to take action in order to be able to do that. I want to show the climate mental health.net slash parents on the screen mm-hmm. and give people that access. And then um, I want to bring in a, a comment, but I think we kind of went over it, but maybe there might be something you want to add to this. Manly says, get this information out there seems like a great first step. What else can we do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you can definitely organize groups or take this information guide to any group that you're a part of. If it's a, you know, a little league team or a um, Girl Scout troop or a church group Mm -hmm. and just start the conversation, the conversation, the way that we have structured it naturally is going to lead to two things. We have self-care tips in the guide. So we really want to make sure that we're increasing mental health literacy. Um, We know that when these kinds of feelings come up, it's very normal and natural to have big feelings when you really think about climate change. So we want people to build their vocabulary of being able to tolerate stress and difficult emotions. And we can't stop there. We have to get engaged in action. And so building that community, I really think and hope that by sharing this conversation guide, it will naturally lead to the next step, which is how do we engage in action and meaningful action in our communities. And there's so many answers to that question. You can do legislative advocacy. You can advocate for bike lanes. You can get involved in, in advocating for plant-based diets. Um, I'm interested in people using the Inflation Reduction Act to green their school systems and to decarbonize. Um, but wherever you go with it, the important thing is that you start. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so let let me bring in one of these last photos because I think it's just beautiful. But this is... <laughs> You and your crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So this is us 
on our staycation and we made a strategic decision over spring break to just take one less set of flights um, and keep ourselves a little bit you know, more on track. And we took our uh, subway and a ferry to Manhattan and we spent two days in Times Square and did all of the touristy things. And it really felt like we were on vacation. <laughs> and I would recommend it to anyone that they look into taking like a real staycation, not just the kind where you reorganize the drawers and play in the backyard, but but take that money and invest it in your hometown and try to make it feel like a real getaway. Oh, that's a really, that's really good advice. The staycation and invest your money in where you're at, you know, the small business or what have you in your city and your town. And I, I might add your family is so beautiful and you all look so happy to be with one another. I, I love hearing about family unions that are really doing big things together. You and your husband sound like a a power couple, I like to say, and, you know, just doing great things and you're creating beautiful human beings that are also going to be doing great things and not just within your own family, but you're extending that out in so many different ways. Thank you, April. That, that means a lot to me. I think it's, um, you know, and all kinds of families are important and we embrace all kinds of families. Um, I know a lot of single moms and a lot of people doing it on their own that are doing amazing jobs. Um, we're really lucky to have the have each other right now, for sure. Yeah. So tell tell me a little bit more about what what else are you doing? What's next for you? Because I, I know you you've done the book, you're working with different things and different projects I know you're doing some speaking engagements to also build awareness, but is there is there a what's next for you? I mean, all of this for me, um, you know, I just think in terms of books. So I'm thinking about the next book. I'm thinking mm -hmm. about um, how I can kind of take – so my my last two books – so the last book was really a history and a policy book. It was about the sort of a play-by-play, -play, a first draft of history, if you will, of the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on kids. And the book before that was called The Art of Screen Time, and it was about – it was more of an advice book for parents. It took distilled the latest research and helped them think about how to navigate screen time with your kids um, in a values-driven way. So for my next book, I'm really thinking about, you know, these huge questions of how do we raise kids in a time like this? Can you really raise yeah. kids to thrive when there's so many changes happening? And um, this kind of gets back to the point we were talking about, about the science of post-traumatic growth, right? Because you know, in the in the windup of the book of the stolen year, I was like, I can't leave us at this moment of uncertainty. I need to look where in the research does it support coming back stronger from something like this. And that's where I came across the science and the literature that supports the idea of post-traumatic growth. And this is a concept that really dates back just to the late 1980s, where there was research um, initially interviewing people that had gone through really significant loss, um, something like mm -hmm. cancer or the loss of a spouse, and finding that a majority of them reported that, I, you know, I'm so sorry this happened to me, and there are these other positive things that happened to me. So I gained strength of my own, understanding of my own inner strength, or I gained confidence in my close relationships, or I gained a sense of spiritual perspective on life or a sense of gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, we can all, you know, relate to these things. Um, and post-traumatic growth gives us something to hold on to where we understand that we can craft a better life, not in spite of what happened to us, but because of it. So I want to project that there are going to be some really amazing things happening to us on a, on a, 
on a worldwide scale because of this, because I agree with you. And I love that you went into the science and the research of that because it's, it's true. I, I like to say that a lot. So many people that I have on the show have gone through horrendous things. And when you go really low, you bounce up really high. If you choose to utilize that as the lesson and turning it into wisdom and, I, I think that's going to happen. That's that's my positive side coming out. And I think that we're going to have some exponential growth and evolve into something really incredible. I agree. And I would add that there is a science of cultivating post-traumatic growth. And it's something that we can do to pe with people that are close to us, including our kids. It starts with talking about it, understanding mm -hmm. that it's a possibility helping each other tell the stories of what happened to us, the hard yeah. parts and the good parts. Yeah. And another in, intrinsic component of fostering post-traumatic growth is service to others. When you draw on your tough experience and you turn it into empathy and to put it outward to someone else and say, I can help you because I know what it's like because I've yeah. been here. That's when you really solidify that sense of growth and that sense of gratitude because you're making meaning out of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, that's the stories. And you, just like you did with your book, it's sharing the stories. It's us being vulnerable enough and brave enough to be able to share those stories because that's where the real impact starts coming. That's healing for yourself and for everyone around you. So I love that. I think that that is absolutely happening. And I, I really talk about that a lot on the show that the importance of sharing our stories. And even I myself, you know, as, as vulnerable as I attempt to be, it's hard. And I use my, sorry to say that I'm using you, but <laughs> my guests on the show are my buffer, yeah. you know? So my story comes out in, in little short segments as, as we have a conversation and then I'll say, well, my experience with this. So it flows into that, but it is a buffer for me to be honest. And until we come to that point where I'm able to, and I'm willing and able, I will start to share the story too. But I know very well that that is a huge aspect of our healing as a greater whole. Absolutely. And I commend you for finding such a great way of sharing that with other people. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I had another comment come in. Manly says, I see your book as a future classic account. It's historical. Oh, that's very <laughs> kind. Thank you. Yeah, that is. That's a that's a really, really wonderful, honorable thing to say. So, well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience today? I want to make sure that I bring in... Um, your website. And for the audience listening, most of you are going to be watching the replay. All of this information is going to be in the description for those of you who are listening to the, the podcast aspect on the just listening. And it, again, it's going to be in the description, all of these links and all of these resources. So where to find Anya and her website again is at if I say it wrong, I'm sorry, <laughs> .net. So I want to make sure everybody has that. That's A-N-Y-A-K-A-M-E-N-E-T-Z.net. So Cher, is there anything else that you would love to leave with our audience today? 
Um, I just want to say thank you for having me on. Thanks to your audience for investing in their own wellness. Um, this seems like a great way to spend a little bit of time. So um, thanks for listening to me and I'd love your feedback. Yes. And again, want to lead everybody to the comments. If you leave a comments in the comment section below, even after this live, we will get back to you. So thank you so much. It's truly been a pleasure to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show, an honor you're doing incredible things. I, I feel blessed to have had this time with you today and uh, want to let everybody know goodbye for now and we will see you tomorrow. Sounds perfect. Okay. Take care. Thank you. <laughs>